The Halls Are Silent by Katie Darby, an extract. Diana, who runs a shelter in Oxford for fallen women, has confronted the villainous Lord Kester, who is trying to blackmail her and been kidnapped for her trouble. I woke in the dark and knew at once that I was neither in my own bed back at the shelter nor anywhere I had been to before. I was lying on my back on a wooden pallet, a cold, moist blackness pressing silence over me like a blanket. I was clothed, still, for which I was thankful, and my dress was not greatly torn, nor was I injured, except for a thick, throbbing ache at one side of my head, where I conjectured Kester must have struck me. Whether to ensure my silence or to vent his rage, I could not guess. The mattress on which I lay was thin and hard and full of lumps, and I smelt corruption and mould on the air. Something else, too, some musky animal scent, faint but distinct, which I could not put a name to. The darkness was absolute, and the atmosphere very chill and damp. I soon guessed I must be underground in some cellar or basement, but in my frightened and bewildered state, for a long moment, I believed myself already in the grave. I tried to rise, but my limbs were weak as water, too feeble to support me, and the pain in my head struck again savagely. Dizzy with the effort, I fell back and crossed my shivering arms over my chest like a corpse, hugging myself for warmth. My shawl was gone. I suspected that it would do me no good to call out, and so I lay quite still with my eyes wide against the pressing blackness and waited, as though anticipating my own death. I do not know how long it was before I heard a door above me creak and booted feet descending stone steps. I knew then that I was indeed in some chamber beneath the earth, and when a faint light showed at the corner of the room, it shone through a grill of stout metal bars, and I understood that I was prisoner here. Diana, came the soft, hoarse voice of Lord Kester, the voice I had learned long ago to fear and hate. Are you awake? I lay quite motionless. For though I had but a second before wished for anything to deliver anyone to deliver me from the black dungeon in which I languished, I remembered now that there were many things more terrible in the world than cold and darkness. My captor would not be put off, though, and the light advanced until his lantern gleamed at the end of the chamber, hard against the iron-barred door of my cell. Hester's face was in shadow. His eyes shone in the flame of the bull's eye as he stared at me between the bars. There was a rusty jangle as he lifted his free hand closer to the lamp to examine something, and I saw a bunch of keys, like a black spider, hanging from his fist. He found the one he wanted, it clattered in the lock, and the gate shrieked metallically as he pushed it open. My eyes, open the mirror slit to watch him, I instantly shut tight. And I breathed a swift prayer, taking care my lips did not move. I sensed through closed eyelids that the light was getting nearer and brighter, and heard his wet breathing as he knelt down beside me, 
setting down his lantern with a crack on the cold flags of the floor. Now, I thought, now I might do it. I could overturn the lamp, dash it against the wall. I could grab it and swing it at his head, if I was swift enough, and escape that way. For I had not heard him lock the gate again, and in my mind's eye it hung loose and half open upon its hinges. And then I felt his hard hand upon my crossed wrists and heard his dry laugh and knew I was lost. Why, your little heart is beating like a mouse as it was like a cat, he whispered, and there was a delight in his words that was almost innocent, as though he had not expected such a reward so soon. I can see it, he said, yeah and he placed his other hand hot on my throat where the pulse of life fluttered. It is throbbing fit to burst, so you need not pretend to be asleep or dead. There was no further use in shouting, and I reasoned that if I spoke to him, I might persuade him to let me go unharmed. I still had a vestige of hope in his capacity for pity, for it was all a I still had a vestige of faith in his capacity for pity, for it was all the hope I had to cling to. I did not know what else to do. I opened my eyes. I don't know what I expected to see in his face. A monstrous evil, I suppose, distorting his features. A leer of brutal lust, perhaps. But his expression was thoughtful. And as he gazed upon me, and his grey eyes soft, almost kind, and that was worst of all. Well, little maps, he said mildly, what am I to do with you? Let me go, I said at once. Let me go and I will not tell, I swear it. I will not give you up to the police. I shall go away, leave Oxford, and we need never see each other again his hand from my neck, halting my desperate babblings with a single finger laid across my lips. It's no good, you know, he said conversationally. I shan't let you go until I have done with you, and I fancy that won't be for a while yet. I shuddered at the sinister import of his words. What do you mean? I asked, dreading the answer. I mean that you are to be my guest for a little, Diana. Or do for Anna, now we are alone. I'll not call you Mrs. Pelham. We both know it is a false name and title, and besides, I think we may dispense with formalities now. His guest, his captive, he meant, his helpless victim. I quail to imagine even an hour more of this torment. How long? I whispered. Long enough, he said. As long as it takes you to tell me where that payment of mine is stowed. For my need of it is becoming rather pressing, you know. And I mean to have it, even if I must beat it out of you. I struggled up and spat in his face. He recoiled, but did not leave go of me. You shall not have it, even if you kill me. I've already lost that for which I cared most. My reputation is nothing to me now. But Stephen knows my secret and has spurned me. 
my work is all that remains to me. It is the only good thing I have left in this world, and neither you nor anyone will rob me of it. He took his hands from me and squatted back on his haunches with a faint smile upon his face, taking care not to soil his clothes with the damp and dirt of the floor. Such fierce defiance! But you'll sing a different tune before long, I warrant. He cocked his head and lifted over it the leather strap of a canteen slung around his shoulder, which, in the darkness I had not previously noticed, setting it beside me. In the meantime, I've brought you water, he said, and Towers will bring your supper later when he returns. I've promised him the keeping of you for his pains, by the way, so be good to him. Then he's an ugly brute, won't you? He doesn't get much in the way of female company, and you'll soon see why. Good to him, I whispered. And shall you be good to me? He shrugged as though the question were facetious. I'll feed you and keep you, he said. That's good enough. As a prisoner, his eyes slitted and hardened, and he looked at me as if I were a rat that had bitten him. You've seen me inside of worse places than this before, my dear, I've no doubt. But don't pretend you cannot bear it, else I'll make it so you can't. I believed him. I had noticed in our previous dealings that he had a curious way of treating people. Not just myself or the girls at the shelter, but his friends and fellows too. As though they were actors or animals, perhaps disporting themselves for his amusement, but incapable of real volition or genuine feeling. Sophie had said that she had once seen him strike a girl for some piece of impudence, and then seemed puzzled and impatient when she was hurt after, as though she were shamming to annoy him. He reminded me of those cruel boys who throw stones at cats or burn ants beneath the glass for mere entertainment. And yet, the gentleness that had shone in his eyes only a moment before was as inherent in his character as coldness or colour. Suki had told me that fits of generosity, even remorse, came upon him sometimes after he had ill-used her, and he would grow sentimental and affectionate as any girl, treating her with a tender care almost more frightening than his cruelty, for she knew at once that it could vanish in an instant, leaving him harder again than ever. It was this quality in him to which I sought to appeal when it showed itself. And I dared hope that if I could move him, he might relent somewhat in his softer mood, even perhaps release me. I closed my eyes and turned my head away. My head hurts dreadfully, I said in a weak voice. A blow to the skull will do that, he said shortly. You are a strong girl, Diana, he added, more resilient than you look. It took Towers and me quite some effort to get you to stay quiet, for even after I knocked you once, you would not quite go out. You continue to struggle and rave. Hmm. Things have not all proceeded exactly as I planned them, I own, but it could have been worse. So congratulations, my dear, on your new position as my girl.